anger management is the the key word for the day. It might be, yeah. <laughs> look, look at that. Oh my, just my face hurts. My brain hurts. My face hurts. They all hurt. You know, amongst, what happened, Gorman? Amongst all of the other things that happened today, work wise and everything else, we have our water line both the water main along the main road and the feeds into the neighborhood are all being replaced. So obviously oh, they've got to replace all of the taps within every part of the, like from the, the feed into the neighborhood to each of the houses. And so they okay. put this, they, they put this little note on there that says, well, first of all, they said that there was going to be some sewer line work coming soon. Not water line work. Sewer line. So we're mm-hmm. like, okay. And they Most said, people don't know the difference. <laughs> and then they said that this work wasn't going to be till like mid-October or late October. I think it started like the week of like the 19th or something like that. Um, 16th is when it, you know, week of the 16th is when it was supposed to start. So, Mercari Twine. And then they start to mobilize and they start doing this work and they start marking all of the different utilities. So, you know, we've got marks for sewer, for water, for gas, and so on and so forth. And then they are running power, like any of the power that's underground or whatever. Okay, fine. You know, I mean, we're we're improving the, the infrastructure, right? Great. Mm-hmm. So the little note that they hang on your door handle that says what's going on we need you to make sure that you don't park on the street blah 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 and all this other stuff well then they unless you want your car tagged you know if you want your car tagged with the the neon paint then then it's okay well then they say well just this minor inconvenience it'll it'll be a minor inconvenience let me just tell you if we don't say so if we if we say so ourselves (laughs) let me let me let me tell you what their minor inconvenience is first of all The four-lane road is a one-lane road. The yeah. There's pipes and stuff, like, all up and down. Because we live on a court, there's one way in, you know, and it kind of, like, loops around, so you can either come in one way or come in another way. Well, they've got one side completely blocked off. Okay, if you tell us in advance that you're going to block one of them off, then we'll make arrangements to go through the other road, right? Sure, right, right, right. No, no. No. Because <laughs> yeah, no. all of the piping and all of the material and everything else is on blocking that side of the neighborhood. The other side is the backhoes, the dump trucks, the, you know, oh, let yeah. me just go ahead and set down this several oh, several ton chunk of concrete water you know, like manhole, new manhole um, structure and all this other stuff. And I hope that at seven o'clock in the morning when we're starting all of this work, it's not going to be too much of an inconvenience when everybody in the uh, neighborhood actually wants to leave mm-hmm. or take their kids to school or whatever. Right. So you now then they're like, okay. We're going to be doing pipe bursting, so there should be like no real, you know, no real inconvenience to no real disturbance. Okay, that sounds great. 
you know, pipe bursting is awesome, you know, and, and, and so there shouldn't be any disturbances. So please tell me why I have a 10 foot by 12 foot by 12 foot deep hole in my front yard. What? Wait, my neighbor who just replaced his yard, pristine yard, it's beautiful. He dug it out himself. He leveled it. He put in new, new uh, irrigation system, re-sodded and seeded the whole thing. It's now been in for a while and it's rooted and it looks beautiful. Sorry, let me change that. It looked beautiful. Oh no. Because the the 10 by 12 by 12 foot deep hole that I had, he's got two. Wow. For what? What do they what do they need to oh, do? Oh, also for? he also has the the luxury of being the house that was chosen to host the Porta John. Oh. I mean, that's what those pits are for. Those yeah. are pit toilets. So the neighbor yeah. next to me, not only is there their minor disturbances, three holes. Now they have the half, the front of their apron of their driveway to the road, probably about three sidewalks deep. Let's just call it 15 feet from the road to 15 feet into their property they don't have a their driveway anymore wow it'll all get put back exactly as it was exactly and this was a new this they they just paid for a new driveway too wow and they've got see this is the thing that scares me about the east coast because Everything is so old on the East Coast. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is so old. And it's like one problem leads to another. I remember before I moved out of Southern California, they put new water lines in, not sewer lines, but water lines into the whole neighborhood. And it took them a couple months to do it, but they didn't have to dig a trench the whole way. They just, they, have you seen these things where they do it like remotely where they'll, yeah, they, they can like, punch these holes and connect yeah. it without digging a whole trench. It's, it's well, so that, that's, that's essentially what they did here, except for the holes were just a minor inconvenience. It just, just a small minor. Just, for a, just a mass grave is what it's yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. And, wow. And it's all, so like, so they did one side of at least the first half of the loop of our street. And now they're starting to do the other side. So of course you, 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 don't worry, it's just a minor inconvenience when mm-hmm. this really large dump truck is blocking you from getting out of your driveway. Right. right. And when you, let, let's just, I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's say you have to go and pick up your daughter from school to take her to a doctor's appointment. And you, you know that, well, I should probably leave a little bit early because it's probably going to take a little while just to get out of my, my yard. And so I walk down there. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. This is hypothetical. Um, so um, this person walks down there and walks up to the crew and says, you know, hey, uh, I need to get to a doctor's appointment. Can can you guys move your move out of the way just real quick? Let me get out. You can, you know, get back in. Um, just got to get out. of. You know, I, I just need to get out of the thing. And I can't go around them because Some, there's somebody. A, you, you, somebody. Can't yeah, get around. That's, that's right. Somebody can't get around yeah. them because there's a right. hypothetically 
a 10 foot by 12 foot by 12 foot deep hole between the front of their truck and the, yeah. So, so then they go to the driver and say, Hey, we need to let this guy out. And the driver looks at this hypothetical person and says, F him. Thou shalt not pass. <laughs> that hypothetical person looks at her like, really? This is this, what? this is how the day is going to go? It's like just simply asking you to like move out of the way so I can go to a doctor's appointment. And nope. this, this oh, seriously, God. it was, wow. it took me 15 minutes to Hypothetically, a, a very dark day. Yeah. We'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll just admit to it, it being my, my joy of the day. And, and so, yeah, no it one's got that. It, it was it was something special and i was just like i i don't i don't get it i, I don't uh, yeah you know yeah bummer it, yeah yeah so it was it was fun it was fun <laughs> i oh it went one last thing so yeah. where they're stockpiling all of the pipes happens to be in front so there is a very well-known and has been a long-standing tradition within this neighborhood. And, and so I just learned about it, obviously, only being here now a year. There's this family that owns two properties, and they've got a couple of, like, garages. So they have this thing called the Haunted Garage Productions. Hmm. And what they do is they do this really, really big um, haunted house. And it opens up on the 6th of October, which is in a couple of days. Not this year. Yeah. And the <laughs> oh. and where all of this stuff is is literally stockpiled in front of the entrance into this um awesome neighborhood haunted house of thing. Of course. Yeah. And I I just look at him every time I go by and I'm just like, these poor people, they're just like yeah. you know, this is a you know, this is something fun. This is like, you know, and, and I will say that there's thousands of people who go to this thing all mm -hmm. the time mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. yeah and i i can't even make eye contact to my neighbor who did all of this work on his lawn and he now has basically you know these big massive graves dug in his front yard and right oh and they didn't bother to check to see if there was a irrigation system just assuming you know probably not but he had one in you know we i sat around chatting with him while he was installing it yeah they dug that up too okay well yeah it's in so of course so yeah sounds like a comedy of errors is this a governmental agency or is it private did they hire a private company to do this work do you know they hired a private contractor to do the city's Mm -hmm. you know uh yeah. water main replacements yeah so big yeah. fat contract wow uh, yeah major bummer yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well maybe before we talk about uh let's let's lighten the mood a little bit we'll do a little bit of follow-up here and uh to to a previous conversation and th then we can get back into the serious stuff the the real architectural uh what would you call this? This is like an emo ep episode. It's going to be very 
dark at some points. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right term. I don't know. I'm old. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm going to share. I'm going to do a little follow up here and, and share my uh, my screen. Uh, so I'll do enough talking about this to entice our listening audience to check out this episode over on YouTube. But I don't want to leave all this in the audio episode, right? So we'll edit it out because I'm going to be pointing at visuals here. So if this is just a, a I just want to give a fair warning. I'm going to share some images. I'm going to share some stuff that I participated in that we talked about in a prior episode, right? I wrote around the rim of Crater Lake and I want to show some pictures and kind of some graphs and maps and stuff. Um, and we won't put leave all that in the audio only episode, but we will have that in the video episode. So if that gives you, you know, if you're intrigued about that, you might want to go out and check that out, but it'll be cut out of the audio part. So, so I'm going to share this. Yeah, so just, yes, we understand that there's going to be a audio and visual component to this. And right. if you'd like to see the visual component, it doesn't mean meet us down at the local Mexican cantina for some margaritas. For the Because, yeah. <laughs> again, yeah. Right. All right, so and, I'm going to start here. Lighting the rim was not a... Not not the margarita bar that you had hoped for, right? Yeah. All you can, all you can drink margarita bar. Sorry to disappoint. Uh, this this is I just want to start off here because so I'm I'm doing like a presentation. This is where we're going in new directions with ArcaSpeak, right? We we've added the the YouTube channel. We've got a visual component. We want to start taking advantage of that. It doesn't mean everything's going to be over there and on not on audio, but but in this case, the, you know, visual makes the most sense. Um, so I, I wanted to start zoomed out here because I thought this was cool. This is just a a map of the United States and shows. I think in this case, I'm filtering by hiking trails. Um, and I just thought this was kind of cool because I, you can see like the main, where the main trails are. It's like, there's a, there's not very many trails in the middle of the U S <laughs> right. It's no, uh, no. Yeah, so we're very blessed here on the West coast. The East coast is also very blessed. And, and if you, if you look at the, uh, the, the distribution, I guess we've got, we've got, the Sierras and the Cascades on the west. We've got the Rocky Mountains, kind of almost central. Obviously, that's in central time zone, so central, central. And then we've got the east coast, the Appalachian Trail, that kind of runs where right. from looks like Alabama to Maine, right? I've never been on it, so I, I, I'm not familiar um, with it. But George, the the actual start and stop is from Georgia to Maine. There are a few Georgia. little offshoots here and there, but um, yeah, it starts in Georgia ends in Maine or starts in Maine and ends in Georgia, whichever, whichever, whichever direction, direction you, you want to go. Yeah. So, trip. I mean, that's, that is a long trail right there. And so, right. Drawn on the screen just to, yeah, just to show this stuff. Um, so we've got, we've got the Appalachian trail. We've got the continental divide trail, which I just thought was, was super cool. Goes from, Canada to Mexico down through the Rockies and I people mountain bike that one and then on the west coast we've got the Pacific Crest Trail which comes up through California Oregon and Washington and goes basically from the Mexican border to the Canadian border and that's the direction most people go whereas I think the Continental Divide Trail maybe at least the biking stuff that I've seen they go north to south Pacific Crest Trail you don't want to end in Mexico like because it's like it's in Tijuana you're you're hiking on 
like highways in Southern California for some of that. It, it's really terrible, I think. Uh, so hmm. you want to end up where it's beautiful. You know, you want to end up in on the Canadian border, I think. So um, anyway, I just thought that was kind of uh. a, a cool a cool place to start this conversation because the Pacific Crest Trail goes right by the location. Well, I said, we'll say what's interesting, and I'm assuming that it's also very similar for the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, is that depending on the time of year, if you're a thru-hiker, I've, I've spoken with many a thru-hiker on the Appalachian Trail, and depending on the time of year you start is also depending on like which direction you're going. You know, if you you know, start sense. in Maine, yeah. you're kind of hoping that you, because if you start in like Alabama and you walk to Maine and you walk to Maine in the wintertime, not a good decision. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's see uh, if, if I just zoom in here on to Southern Oregon, you can get an idea of jump over to a better map. So this is the actual Crater Lake National Park. And this is where we come in through the south entrance from our location, but there's also a north entrance. So you can see that the highway kind of skims the western edge of the crater. And if if you zoom in here, you can see how much topography there is at the edge of the crater. So you kind of drive all the way up to the rim and then you're kind of, you know, going around the the circumference of Crater Lake for the most part, and you're looking down into a hole. And there's this island out in the middle called Wizard Island. And on Wizard Island, you can kind of see the topography lines there. That's the actual center of the the cinder cone of the volcano right there. So it's not right in the <laughs> middle of, of the crater. It's kind of off to the western edge. And you can do a boat ride, and you can hike that trail up to the top. Uh, it's a little summit trail that goes from from where, where you get dropped That's off cool. on the boat up to the top. Yeah, so you actually can get to it. And I think most people don't know that you can do a boat tour of the lake, and it is operated by the National Park. They actually fly the boats in with helicopters when they drop a new boat off, which I guess they even did nice. recently. There's a couple different tours that you can do of the lake, one that drops you off on the island and one that doesn't. And uh, they've also put submarines in this lake and... Uh, Anyway, it's it's pretty cool. All, all of those have to be delivered by helicopter because there's no road that goes down to the water. And there is a no trail. <laughs> there's no boat ramp. Yeah, so there's a trail on the northern edge here that I've hiked before, and that will take you down. To, it's, a, it's almost two miles down to the edge of the water. That's where you catch the boat uh, to, to go do one of those what's tours. The, uh, what's the drop there? It's... Almost 900 feet at that trailhead. So it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of different elevation gains and drops That's around the edge. But at that point, yeah, so over two miles. It's it's a steep hike, but I would say it's a medium. It's not a strenuous hike. It's just kind of medium. And it's it's a wide trail. It's like it's meant for a, a lot of people. So that that's kind of cool uh, as far as like just giving you an overview of of the lake and you can kind of get an idea of how much topography there is. And then this is the actual ride that I, I did myself. So it's 32, almost 33 miles around the, in, the entire, entire lake. And you can see that it gets kind of close to the lake and far away from the lake. We'll go to that map here in a second. But a little over two and a half hours of moving time. It was about three and a half hours of total time. Right, right down there, you can, you can see that. And 
3,500 feet of elevation gain throughout the entire thing. So it's it was actually the same elevation gain and loss because we start and we started and ended at the same location, right? So 3,500 feet of climbing, also 3,500 feet of descending, and if I scroll down here, you can kind of see a cross section of elevation as we did the ride. So the the climbs and the descents were kind of evenly distributed. The the climb uh, the the lake and we did this stupid thing where when we were driving in, we saw people riding down the hill that we were driving up to go up to the top of the lake where we just thought everybody starts at the top of the lake. And we're like wondering why, oh, were they already done or what? And, and, and it just turns out that they, they were smarter than us. They started at the bottom of the hill and did their climb first. We started at, you know, halfway up the hill. And so we had to do three miles of climbing at the very end, just to finish our 33-mile oh. ride, which was the worst place. Yeah, because that makes sense. I mean, Yeah. Well, that's what an architect you know, would do. After, 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 almost 30, yeah, say, after almost 36 miles of riding, and that's what you wanted to do, is do a hill climb at the very at end. At the end. Yeah, you know, when you're, when and, you're the freshest. And, and I was when looking you're, at, you're the most warmed up, I guess, at that point. So. Oh, yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that was it. It was just like every... The, the 34 miles was just the warm-up just warm for up. the Yeah, you know, an easy, easy warm-up. Crush right. of a climb. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, because, I, you know, looking at your time, I mean, you were doing a pretty decent, you know, clip of time. Right. I think I think it's pretty standard. They said anywhere between three and five hours uh, uh, to do it. And so for us, you know, it was... Um, three and a half hours of time but for me i'm pretty positive it would be closer to the five plus and and actually if i did it again i would take longer because i would enjoy it more i think this first time it was like let we don't know what it's going to be like so let's go for it and it's not like we were racing but at the same time other people are waiting for us at the end it wasn't just us kind of hanging out to do our own thing there were other people kind of reliant on our schedule you never know if you're going to have a breakdown or a mechanical issue or a flat tire or any of those things. So uh, the part, like it does stop at 6 p.m. They take away all the snacks at 6 p.m. at all the stations around the lake. And so it's like you, you want to be done before that happens. Um, otherwise, you're going to start risking various things. So, Wait, they take away the snacks? They take away the snacks. At six. The volunteers go home at 6, yes. And this is something that they they close the roads off, you know, free of free of cars, or at least a a good portion of it, right? So yeah, so basically, there's that entry road that comes in from the south, right, and then there's that other entry road that comes in from the north, and that connection road there mm-hmm. between the north and the south entry, they don't close those that side because if somebody comes in one way and they want to get out the other way. You're not going to make them drive four hours around gotcha. that, right? Uh, so our first portion of the ride was about eight miles with cars. Not too many cars, but it was probably a pretty busy weekend at the park because of the ride. They, you know, they they do this two weekends a year, and basically the idea is they close down nice. the other 24 miles around the eastern edge of the of the crater to cars, so that cyclists can enjoy it car free and so when you finally get to that northern entrance up there 
you're car free for the rest of the way around. And that is, that's what makes it really, really a special thing because you're not concerned for your safety Mm -hmm. the entire time, which you totally would be because think about it. Like when you're at a national park, drivers are driving around. They are not watching the road. They're looking around. They're looking at the view. They're looking at everything else that's going on. I can't even imagine riding this on a normal weekend traffic kind of a situation. So, um, yeah, it was it was great to have 24 miles of the 32, 33 miles completely car free as we went around that eastern rim. That's amazing. And then I know that I, I see you like logged in a couple of photos. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So let me close what this is, down. What is this app you're using by chance? This this app is called Strava, and this is where a lot of athletes and cyclists kind of track their all their tracks. So if you go running, trail running, if you go okay. cycling somewhere, you're recording that with the GPS. You could be using the Strava app on your phone. You could be using a watch. You could be using another Garmin device or, you know, several different companies make devices. And then it synchronizes up to Strava so that over the year you get like total tallies of how many days you went riding, how many miles you rode, how much elevation gain you did. And it's kind of a nice way to just at the end of the year or over time, you know, people do it multiple years. So you can really start to get an idea of, of what's going on with your, your training or your cycling. So, yeah, so I'm going to share some photos now. And these are photos of when we were starting the ride. This is a photo when we started and you can see the lake in the background. It kind of had some smoke in it. There are, have been wildfires in the area. And so I did this with my daughter-in-law and, and we had a great time. I mean, we kind of split back and forth between two different kinds of bikes. One of the bikes was more of a urban, you know, cruiser bike. And the other one was more of a actual road bike. And, and so the road bike, you have to hunch over, you know, you're, you're kind of like, it's got drop handlebars on it. And so you're in a different posture. The gearing is different, stuff like that. So um, we, we kind of swapped back and forth between those, but, but we were happy when we started <laughs> along the way, this is kind of a, a cool shot of Mount Adams off in the distance. And it's kind of poking up through the, cl- it's not clouds, it's actually smoke from the wildfires. But, um, this is from kind of the Northern rim looking North out over the plains of, of kind of Eastern Oregon has that nice misty kind of. Ansel Adams type feel to it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that Adams. It's yeah, and this this is uh, named after the president, not the not the photographer. There's several volcanoes up the west coast that are very standalone like this, and I think that it's it's Mm -hmm. really incredible to kind of watch them as you fly. If you were to fly from Southern California to Seattle, you would just see them all along the way. Uh, and, and that's pretty cool to have these kind of standalone mountains, which is very different than what I'm used to in Southern California, where all the mountains are kind of together. So Mount Whitney being the tallest peak in the Western Hemisphere, you can't even tell where it is because it's just mixed into the other Sierra Nevada mountains, right? So you, you can't really see it. But hmm. these mountains are very standalone. There's like Mount McLaughlin, Mount Adams, Mount Jefferson, Mount Bachelor, Mount Hood, all the way up through, you know, Mount Baker, uh, what what's the big one in in uh, Washington? Is it it's Mount Rainier, right? So that that one's a, a huge one, yeah. So they're they're all kind of you know yeah. standalone volcanic 
Uh, they're very, very cool geology up here. And then you can just get an idea here of the glassiness of the lake. It was just like incredibly crystal, not only crystal clear, but crystal smooth <laughs> as well, right? You've polished. And it was it was beautiful way to start the day. It was a perfect day to do this ride. Yeah, and I I drive past you know almost on a daily basis. Uh, you know our lake, Lake Saint Clair, uh, that kind of divides the U.S. Detroit area with um, you know the Windsor area into Canada. And nine times out of ten, it's usually like really choppy and windy, and you see, you know, it's. Like you see a lot of activity and here this thing just looks like a sheet of glass. It looks like that architectural project that you, you know, you cut all of the chipboard, you stack it all up, you make all the topos, you put in all of your thing. And then I don't right. know, you know, how you did it, but I just use like a copious amount of white glue, you know, poured over time. And then you know, like <laughs> didn't, didn't have access or even you know, the mindset to do on an epoxy Thing. Yeah, you know, right, mine was right, all right. just like built up white glue and it dries up and it's nice and glassy, uh, yeah. which looks like this. But, you know, yeah, that just that that's an amazing shot because I'm so used to our lake looking like you just put out to sea on the North Atlantic. Yeah, it's a like nor'easter. And those those <laughs> lakes are huge. I, I know the one you're talking about is not as big as the Great Lakes like pr uh, proper, but it's still huge. Right. And so. It, and you get a lot of wind and, and here this is sitting down below the lip yeah. of the crater right and it is kind of protected there's no inlets there's no outlets so you you'll only get disturbed by weather and there happened to be no weather on this day so it was it was perfect Which mirror was, surface yeah. basically from besmirch my lake st Clair. yeah it's not very big it not a great lake uh. <laughs> I said it's not one of the it's proper a... Great Lakes. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can add that to the feedback bin if you'd like. Mm, I'll be here's the first a, one uh, to give you feedback on that one there, sir. <laughs> feedback. Here's your feedback. Here's a kind of a panoramic shot of the lake on the way around. And, you know, this is another, this is halfway around where I wasn't feeling the pain yet. But you can see some areas have some pretty serious say, cliffs. You have a smile. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's some pretty serious cliffs on, on different pieces of the coastline. Uh, and then this is the phantom shipwreck portion of the lake. And it's just this gorgeous kind of rock structure that's poking up out of the lake. And there's a, there's a separate trailhead that, that looks over that. But uh, from certain distances, it does look like a ship sank when it like came, you know, got too close to the ground or something. But it's these very sharp, jagged, uh, rocks sticking up out of the water right there, and it's pretty pretty sweet little feature of Crater Lake National Park. Just to let you know, my lakes have real shipwrecks. Yeah, you don't have to pretend. <laughs> you can actually get boats <laughs> into those sh into those lakes. Yeah, not these ones. Uh, this Just is the Edmund Fitzgerald <laughs> famous famous Gordon Lightfoot song about that. This is uh, the the final kind of view when you get to the lodge at the very end of the ride and it it had cleared up nicely there was very little wildfire smoke left by this time in the day and a few wispy clouds and you can see wizard island out there in this shot and so 
kind of gives you an idea of the scale of the actual yeah right. cinder cone that's in the middle of the lake. And yeah, I was tired by the end. My my cycling partner was still doing just fine with her youthful age. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, where was that last shot showing that you hit the 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 ceiling, the wall, the whatever we want to call it, the pain. <laughs> wall of pain. You know, I, I actually did really well on this ride. I, I've been riding my bike for a few years now, but uh, and I will do definitely do this again. It wasn't one of those things where I'm I'm not I did it once and I and I'm done. I would you know if weather is good, it's totally worth doing this ride. And you know, it's now that I know even more what to expect, I would definitely definitely do it again all right so that's it i wanted to follow up because we had talked about doing that and it's always fun to share a new adventure so yeah that was cool actually sounds fantastic well so speaking of adventures you went recently to uh architectural nerd conference yes the architectural nerd conference i believe what you're referring to is a day-long seminar for the Michigan Building Code and, yeah, just a, a building code seminar. Yeah. So yeah. if you're saying NerdFest and building sem- you know, building codes in the same you know, breath, how dare you, sir? Mm. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's building, it's, it's building codes. You have this you weird thing. I think, I think we talked about this on a previous episode recently even uh please fact check this but you like continuing education you like doing as much as possible you you do um but as as much as is needed for maybe five people for their continuing education requirements yeah, not just I, one I mean, person I, could, I was sitting next to someone and they're just like i can't believe how far behind i am on my ceus and i'm thinking to myself I can't believe that I'm actually here because I don't need them. I mean, I need <laughs> 20 I need 24 for the state of Florida, 24 for the state of Maryland. I need 20 Is it 20 or 18 for AIA? I think it's 18. I think I have all of them. Granted, it's it's the same twenty four for each state, except for Maryland or Florida actually requires a a a couple of extras, and we've we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. I think I actually have enough CEUs to give them their own without doubling up. <laughs> I <laughs> wow, oh, that's ridiculous. Had, actually, before before I went to that before I went to that one, and truth be told, that I've actually already done two other CEUs since then. This was a six-hour CEU, um, and before I went, I had forty-eight. Wow! So I really don't You're getting need there. anymore. Yeah, and it's, you don't need it, anymore. And to be quite honest with you, okay, so nerd fest. But that's yes, not why you went. That's not why you went, right? It's not why I went. It's not why I went. It's two things, two reasons why I went. One, actually, it was a really interesting topic. Funny enough, I know everybody. I, I told somebody that I was going, and they're like, I don't know if I can stay awake. The guy was engaging. He actually made, as, as weird as this sounds, he actually made building codes and talking about building codes and talking about kind of like 
weird ways of doing like mixed use buildings and stuff, which is stuff that we do all the time. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think that there's a single building I've done in the last, I don't know, decade, two decades that hasn't been a mixed use building. I don't think that I've done a single use building. Even when you're, you're doing education, it's still a mixed use because there's certain occupancies within that one that require you to do mixed use. And so in, I'm, in I'm always a little confused by the term mixed use because mixed use to me is like, and you're, it is, it's correct, but I think of it as a typology and I don't think of it as like a code thing. I think of it as, you know, there's retail on the bottom and there's yeah. living, you know, there's residential above or there's parking garage but, down below. And, and, and you're, so mixed occupancy is how well, I've you know, always talked about this. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, mixed occupancy, mixed use is sort of interchangeable. I mean, okay. mixed use, to be quite honest with you, in the zoning world is exactly what you just said. Um, we just, I guess we get lazy and say, instead of saying mixed use occupancy, okay. we just say mixed use. All right. And Thank you for straightening that Because, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's. It's hard to actually add the word occupancy on the Yeah, end. that's a hard one. I mean, I've already like yeah. exhausted my breath over mixed in use. Yeah. Now you're yeah. gonna say occupancy. God, but, good job. <laughs> but 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 what was what was interesting about it? So like you know, we went so the first half of the day was yes, nerd fest out here. Um, but the first half of the day was about the rehabilitation code you know, essentially you know, renovations, additions, things like that to an existing, you know, an existing building. And and that was interesting because I do a lot of that. In fact, it seems like the last decade and a half of my career, if not two full decades of my career has been a lot of adaptive reuse. And so it was, it's interesting to kind of go and sit down and th- go through the code in a way to almost make sure that I'm doing it right in a way, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. am, sure. you know, have I been And what was interesting is so when we were doing the mixed use occupancy half of the day, he, he wanted to go through a portion of the code that was dealing with um, control areas. And he's, you know, he started talking about like control areas. And if, for those of you who don't know what control areas are, it's just a way to compartmentalize your building um, that may have a higher hazard and separating it from a lower hazard, whether it be from, you know, chemicals or other higher hazard, you know, situations and be able to like do a mixed use building and still have like these higher hazard occupancies within that building. And so do a lot of lab buildings. So we're obviously going to be doing things that deal with a lot of control areas and things like that. So mm-hmm. one of the things that he was talking about, he, he was going through the code and he was you know, talking about like, you know, um, the horizontal separation of control areas and talking about, you know, ease, egress and separations and things like that. And then he started talking about the vertical separations and, he was talking about what the code allows and he started going through. He's just like, you know, at, you know, one to three floor, you can have two control areas at you know, 50% each to get your, you know, full 100% occupancy of those and, you know, so on and so forth. But as you descend you know, or ascend upwards within a building, 
it starts to reduce the percentage of chemicals and area that you can have up above. So that that's, you know, that that's all well and good. And so he gets to a point where he's like, well, you know, you can do all of this, but who would really do that? It's like, it just doesn't make any sense to do that. And, and you're I'm like, sitting here, you do that thing I slowly like, start to raise my hand. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I slowly start to raise my hand and I'm like, uh, yeah, like you, literally your, the, the chart that you're using is a section through my building. You know, there's, there's certain, a certain allowable to, it's like nine floors and above. I'm like, well, I got a, you know, 12 story lab building. And then he's just like, and you've got certain ones where you can go below grade, your basement at one level, your basement two level, you know, and then you're not allowed at basement three. And he goes, but, you know, he goes, it's, it's such a, an unlikely situation. And I'm like, well, guess what? I am living the unlikely situation because every single solitary bit of information that you're passing on is embodied in this one project. And I, I ended up because I had my computer with me and just so happened to have Revit open and just so happened to have that, that building open because that's you, the last thing I was doing before I left to go to my nerd fest. You are the nerd go at ahead. the nerd fest. You are the nerd at the nerd fest. Yeah. I am the nerd. It. I am. I was the nerd at the nerd fest. So yeah. I, I, during our lunch or well, actually during one of our breaks and everybody kind of like just, took off to like make their phone calls or whatever. And I kind of like walked up to him and I kind of, I spun it around and I brought up my code review sheets and I showed it to him and I was showing all of these things. And, um, subsequently I've, I've like emailed him to just tell him, you know, thanks for the, the seminar. It was, it was a really good information. I happened to be the guy that came up to you and showed you that. And he actually like praised me on, he was like, ah, oh, that was a, you know, an amazing uh, code review sheet. He's like, I love the section that you showed of your building and how the, the control areas were overlaid onto that, you know, so that, you, you know, the reviewer could clearly understand like what you were trying to achieve and your, all of your separations. He was like ranting and raving about it. And I'm like, it was, it was really one of the first times that I've ever done that type of building with those type of constraints and stuff. It was a hundred percent guess. I mean, we did have a code. It got approved. You know, right? I mean, obviously it was a, it got approved, it got reviewed and everything else. It was just like at the time, because I hadn't ever done that. I'd never dealt with that kind of stuff before to, to that level, to that degree. I mean, it literally was. So we had business occupancy with A3, A2, S1, S2. So, you know, the, the, you know, storage, you know, assembly, business, um, industrial, uh, like wow. there was wait, five or yeah. did I, was that yeah. five? Yeah. No, six, count. six different occupancies. Yeah. Six different occupancies and like multiple different hazard, you know, hazard, um, hazards, uh, buildings that are going to definitely have, you know, tons of chemicals in them and, and everything else. And it was just, you know, it was just, as he's like telling everybody, yeah, you, don't worry about it. You're never really going to have to deal with anything like this. I'm like, you're not, but I am. <laughs> I, I think one of the interesting things about the, what you were just saying is how you communicate that to the permitting agency, right? And so you talked about showing yeah. those zones in 
section. And, and this reminds me of that meme that's been going around of that, that somebody posted that, that says, you know, here's what my parents think I do as an architect. And they're showing, you know, <laughs> beautiful design and swoopy yeah. buildings and, you know, just amazing architecture. And then there's what, what she's actually doing. And she's typing into Google, you know, how far away from the wall does a toilet go? And, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, yeah. that's what, that's what it's, it's like, it just kind of speaks to the type of work that you're talking about, which is the, it's, the nitty gritty yeah. technical work that it, you have to do to get the, the set of drawings approved for construction and beyond just having all of the stuff in there, the requirements are all met is communicating. Cause you're not communicating this just for, you know, for fun, you're communicating it for the contractor right. to build it correctly to actually protect the people who are yeah. going to use the building yes. in the right, making sure that you have these separations in place and that the, it's all spelled out and it's specified, but also to the review, the code reviewer to say, you know, like, here are the separations, yeah. here's how we did it. And here's how it's going to get built yeah. so that they can just say, yep, check, 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 because that is not an and easy you, process. Yeah. And sitting down and also convincing, like say, you know, go once for the fire marshal and talking to the fire marshal and talking about here's the way that here are all of the accessible routes that if you, heaven forbid, have to do deal with the fire within right. this building, here are all of your protected routes to be able to move safely throughout this building and, and things like that. And, you know, and, and it's, it's one of those things that people don't... Uh, Nobody really thinks that that's something that an architect does. Right. And so, you know, they don't really, you know, they, they think, you know, oh, well, you're just drawing all of the, you know, the pretty pictures and everything else. And, you know, it's, it leaves it up to somebody else to do all of this other stuff. Right. And I, I'll give you a good example of kind of like this, the, the misconception of what people think architects do and don't do and how they assist and work with, like, say, um, their engineers and everybody else is was on a, on a call today for this very building you know because it is under construction and I think I talked with you on a previous episode about how we are now revising a lot of the interior planning because we had designed it right. with the intention of it being a generic lab building because we didn't have the user groups at the time now we have the user groups and there is a really big portion of this building that's actually already constructed that has to be deconstructed to accommodate mm. some of their things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's trying to be as very kind of like um, understanding about their process and, and really knowing is like, how do you work? How do you actually do your job so that we can help the help shape the building to accommodate your, um, you know, what you do, you know, what you do. And, but, but, you know, when we're listening to the, all of that, you know, we have to then take all of that information, you know, run an analysis and say, all right, well, you want you, it was designed for this. And we sort of have all of the infrastructure in for this, but you don't need half of that. You need something completely different that's going to require different supply and return and all of this other stuff. And they're like, yeah, you know, okay, so we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll do an analysis of it. And when they think that they're, they tell you what they need, their assumption is, is that that's what they're going to get. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, we come back to them today and we're having this conversation with them and telling them what the building can give them. It's just like, well, I don't understand. Why can't I have, you know, this, this thing that I need? And you just think, well, because of how you've now set up all of your, your spaces, you went from kind of like generic fume hoods and things like that to now there are these rig rooms with air tables and all of these other things. And because you've compartmentalized them, now you went from one open room to four little closed rooms. They now have a completely different requirement for air distribution. So that means more duct work up there. And like, well, why can't I have this and this? And so it's like, because of this being an existing building and because of all of the constraints that we have with the existing structure and, you know, like, unless you want like a six foot high ceiling, we can't fit all of this stuff in there. We can only use, it's kind of like one or the other, not both. Right. And it was a really hard conversation to have with them to let them know that you can't actually have both because, and they're like, but, but I need them for, for the way that I work. Mm -hmm. I understand that, but the building can't give that to you. It's just like, well, we're only asking you to move it from here to here. I understand that on paper in, and you know, you got to kind of deal, but it is. Yeah. They were exactly, they were looking, it's just like, you know, I'm looking at it on paper and it's just really moving it from here to here. And they're not like, you know, and I, I had to like stop and kind of explain that, you know, what you see like is like, let, let's just say like, you know, they were asking for this thing called a scavenger arm. And it's, you know, it's a piece of equipment on kind of like a boom, like I've got, you know, my microphone on. And they see that part of it, but there's so much more that's attached to it. There's so much more that runs off the wall. There's so much more that goes up above the ceiling and hard ducks into everything and all of this other stuff. And so, mm. but they don't realize that, yeah, they see this and it should be easy for this to be moved down the wall, but you still don't have the space above the ceiling to accommodate all of the things that makes this little thing here work. Yeah. And they're just, but I don't get it. I mean, it, it, again, it's just, you know, it's just moving it down the wall. Can't, can't we just extend it more? Like, you don't have the physical space. There's like literally like if, if you said you have a five passenger vehicle, but you want to fit 12 people in there, you can't. There's a, you know, there's another like analogy. Just there's the uh, 10 pounds of crap in a five pound bag, right? It's, it's like, you just don't have, uh, <laughs> and, and that stuff is not visible on the surface. And, and, and I'm sure they're even thinking right. like, but we have the, we can do whatever we want. We have the money to do whatever we want. We can make this change. E yes. Yes. But they're not like, thinking through all <laughs> of the different repercussions of what's involved in making that solution happen. I I had the conversation with, the owners were at the, the, the top of the, the pyramid. And they were like, you know, if we had to do this all over again with the money that we're spending on this building, it would have been a new building. And we yeah. wouldn't have had to deal with the the 12-foot floor-to-floor heights and you know the deep beams and all of these other things and all of this weird little dissection that we had to do to the existing building and the new building and, and on all of these other things of how to like right. mesh it all together. And... And even though we are making it work, is it exactly like, you know, I mean, it, it's still, I would say that it is the best, it is the finest used vehicle we could have. I don't know. I'm trying to think. 
I was trying to think yeah. of what's, what's a good analogy to say. It's like, it is like the, the nicest new, it's the nicest used car that you've ever seen, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like a resto mod know, in the, just, in the it, car world, right? It's like you use the yeah, bones yeah, of the yeah, thing, yeah, very much but you completely yeah. reskinned it. New engine, new, new everything, yeah. except for, a, you know, except the, for the, the, only just thing, the main structure. So yeah, exactly. I was going to say, except for the only thing in like a resto mod is a lot of times they'll replace the entire frame. So it'll be this brand new, like lightweight, you know, frame and all of these other things that can take on all sorts of like weight, you know, and torque and all of this other stuff. We got a 1962 concrete and steel building that has really, really low floor to floor heights. And the air conditioning wasn't like main, like duck trunks and all this other stuff running through there. They were you know, essentially glorified window units. Yeah. Um, where it was just a, you know, a, a dual duct system. And, you know, it was all these just ridiculous. It was the thing that I've learned, and I know you probably have too, and I know that you know plenty of other people who are listening, you know, have dealt with this. But the thing that I've learned that is like increased my knowledge of construction is all of the bad construction that I've had to deal with over the course of my career of having to undo something that should have never been done, but it was the way that they did it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, a, and, and so to like learn, to learn by trying to renovate buildings has taught me so much more about like both new construction and renovation construction from just looking at it. It's just like, why would they have ever done that? So what is the conversation in the beginning? Yeah. If you, I, I mean, obviously you can't do it all over again, but you, and you, you alluded to what you know, what that conversation might be like. But the question that I guess I have is why didn't it happen in the beginning? Why wasn't the conversation in the beginning? Like, because, you know, everybody who's probably involved in that situation is enticed by the quote unquote savings of reusing the tower that they had, because obviously budget's always an issue with architecture. Right. And so, there's other constraints too, like proximity and, you know, where they wanted to be, you know, for their offices and their labs and all those things. But somebody with the experience that you're talking about having now has got to be at the table to say, like, there are serious trade-offs. And I think we've even talked about this in the past. The people who are going to be there at the end might not even have been the people who were there in the beginning making those decisions. Like you're talking even about making major changes to lab spaces because it was COVID and nobody knew what they wanted. They didn't even have the staff, et cetera, et cetera. And now everyone is beholden to the decisions that were made before they even got there. And they're like, this sucks, right? Yeah. What, what do you, how would you do it differently next time? Because those trade-offs that you're talking about people having to deal with now has got to be so disappointing and they're going to have to spend the next 20 years there or whatever the, the period is, maybe longer. Okay, so can I do a little bit of show and tell? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Because I can kind of show you. It, it's, it's, it's really sort of hard to explain some of the rationale of this building. Um, and one of the, you know, the, the reasons why we did what we did without really sort of showing you like what 
what some of the constraints were. Hmm. And so on screen, you can now see the uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital Complex. Mm-hmm. This this area here is one of the original original buildings called Billings Hall. And you can kind of see like these little U-shaped or little L-shaped buildings that kind of created the original. So you can, if you can see in this picture, a tower crane right there. So I would like to tell you that the decisions were made because of the constraints of things. There was a building right here where this tower crane sort of sits. And you can kind of see this, this blank hole here. Mm-hmm. There is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine buildings, mm-hmm. all surrounding and touching our building. And even more so is there is a series of utility tunnels underneath here. And I don't know how I get the short straw, bless, whatever you want to call it. Um, that actually, I mean, really there's, there's like, you know, I don't know how, how or what you really want to call this, but somehow, some way I always get stuck with having to build over the top of these, these projects that have all of the site-wide, site-wide utilities, not just for for the building, but site-wide utilities. Mm -hmm. And so, so then here, here is the actual, you know, as you can kind of like see and, you know, spin around and everything, you can sort of see the constraints of the actual building. And so like you can see all of these other buildings squeezed in and around it. We are touching a lot in this and it's just, it was a decision not necessarily made on economics. It was more about logistics. Also, the fact that there are multiple buildings that are still occupied while we're doing the construction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a the unoccupied. You can sort of see like all of the the green board going up on this you know building in the background. That's the south wing of this. This is the west wing. You know, it's their core, and then our north wing will be in this particular one. It's actually there, but in this particular view, it's not there. And, but I mean, you know, so it's this kind of like weird T-shaped building that, you know, fits into all sorts of different things. And so honestly, because of the fact that, oh yeah, by the way, because of this podium, it's sitting on the central circulation system, you know, pedestrian circulation throughout the, throughout the hospital core. And so there's like, it's called the main loop that like loops around all of the different buildings and everything else. And so it it's pretty complex. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of different rationales and reason behind it. And in you you'd say, well, you know, at the end of the day, it would have saved a lot more money if we would have just like leveled this and um, started over. Well, that's not really the case because then they wouldn't have been able to get the amount of like square footage into this building because we would have had to have conformed to the new zoning code rather than because this is an, an existing building and we're doing a adaptive reuse to it. And we're able to like keep the, the floor to floor heights. And I mean, we're allowed to keep the, the number of, of stories we have. If we were to demo it and start over the 
to still to get the needed like say 16 to 18 feet floor to floor for a high performance lab building you wouldn't get as many floors in and because technically the building already exceeds the overall zoning regulations for the area but because we're grandfathered in because of its its existing nature and the existing building we don't we are we can go as high as like this adjacent building which is the highest point on the campus so we sure enough we are is exactly as high as that and and so i mean there's there's just a lot of constraints to the there's a main arterial road that goes through the city and and it's just there's just a lot to the decision behind why we did that if there if it was possible to like do this all over again I'm not sure how the powers that be would have approached this. May, they may have said this isn't the right place for this particular project. And then we've got, right. you know, other areas throughout the campus. Maybe mm-hmm. we do it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of the, the situation, you know, I mean, there's actually even like, you know, this, this little building right here, which is the, this is their actual office building. But right here is another building that they which is the state of Maryland's some lab buildings for the state of Maryland. It has the appropriate floor to floor heights. It is almost as tall as our building, but it has five less, less floors than we have. Mm. So that that's kind of, you know, behind there's again, you know, there's the alchemy One of those like all of the different, yeah. you know, situation. Exactly. It was all of mm-hmm. those trade-offs. So, I just find it, it's easier to kind of, it, I'm one of these visual explainers. It's like, it's easier to like show you the, the craziness that was behind you know, some of these things and why we made the decisions that we did. And was it because of the economics a little bit? Was it because of the fact that they can actually get more people in this, in this building? Yeah. I mean, because then that also comes back to economics because this is a building that they are building, they being the, you know, hospital, and they're leasing it to the school, you know, the university. And so, you know, there's the return on your investment for that, and there's all these yeah. other things that yeah. we've already gone through the whole conversation about the the politics of all of the different, you know, shareholders and stakeholders in here. And so it's it's hard to so explain those. <laughs> so it's much. hard to explain all that to people who come to the, to the table much later in the process. Yeah, and and it's and like you, you can't. There the was people. no good answer, right? There was no good answer, and at some point right. you have to make a decision, right. and that sets you on a path, and and it's like. You kind of just want to say, exactly. like, you can't ask questions about decisions we've already made because we can't go undo it. Like, there's no, like, yes, it might satisfy yeah. you more if you knew the answer, but at the same time, like, you're totally wasting my time by having me explain mm-hmm. this to you, and you're not, and you're, you're not going to be satisfied with the answer because we've, we've all got, already been down this for several years now. It's a, it's a tough business, and it's, exactly. it, it reminds me of when people say you know, what's the value of an architect and how come architects are so bad at explaining their value? And it's like this this kind of presentation, this kind of, of conversation <laughs> right here shows the kind of work that, like how much of that even happened before the project officially kicked off? Like so much, right? 
just to figure out the feasibility and the direction you were going to go or what the options were and things like that. And again, I, I go back to this idea of like what people think architects do versus what they actually do. And yeah. the difference in like the aesthetics, the image of the building and the technical aspects of feasibility, code, all of these different compartmentalization requirements, uh, multiple use types in the same envelope and all, all that stuff. It's just Great. insane. And most people can't even comprehend that. And at the same time, they're the ones saying, what do we need an architect for? <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and here's the project that literally has been a part of our lives for at, at least eight years wow. so far. Wow. Um, even a little bit more um, for certain aspects of it to help them with the decisions. Like we were, we were involved early on with the decisions of do we even entertain using this building before we even like release you to do a scope study to determine what we could use this building for and what are, you know, some of the best practices. I mean, it's been kicked around. Should it just be medical office building? Should it just be this? Should it be that? Hey, we want to increase the presence of the school of, you know, school of medicine on the hospital mm -hmm. campus. What is the best way to do that? You know, and all of these decisions, we've been a part of every one of those decisions for, you know, the better part of almost, almost a decade. Um, and when we're done with it, it will be 2026 when we're completely finished with this. There will have been people who are still on this project that have worked on this project for a decade. Yep. Fathom that for a while. Like, yeah, it's tough. You know, that is, that is, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so what do architects do? A lot. Yeah, and, and it, I, you know, we go back to this idea of the nerd conference that you went to and the idea of getting better at what you do and going to those kinds of yeah. events and sharing experiences with other architects like like mm -hmm. the guy who was giving the presentation said you know you'll probably never have to deal with this and then you're raising your hand and you're saying look like i deal with this all the time right. and there's other people in the room who yeah. have never dealt with it they they know they're going to have to and, and and there's the whole spectrum right and i think it's super interesting right to kind of think about the difficulties the challenges the that you're saying yep we're up for that the time commitment involved in doing it and working with the clients and all of the everybody who's a stakeholder in this kind of a project like that to me is is exhausting and you're also going to a conference and saying yeah, yeah i, I want to get better at this I, we, we want to share our experiences yeah. we want to learn more um, because this is this is a profession where you actually never stop learning you never can stop getting better at your job I would hope. I mean, this that's the right. kind of thing that, right. that is also going on in the professionals in our in architecture. Yeah. And, and that, that honestly is, if you want to call it, I think you call it the obsession with, you know, CEUs. It's really just trying to stay in tap with what I, you know, like what, what am I going to be dealing with on the next project? I mean, what are the things that are out there? few years ago, or I don't know, a few codes ago, when we started to change from 
requiring you know continuous insulation well what does that mean like i, I right like you know we used to have thermal breaks all over the place and, right. and all of this other stuff how do you achieve that and it's just like i you know because i'd never experienced it before i had to figure you know i had to like either a figure it out or go to the experts who had figured it out and sit down and listen to them and that's the kind of like knowledge sharing that we need in the profession is to be able to like openly and freely exchange the conversation about okay well how did you achieve mm -hmm. like when we see these you know kind of like really cool designs and we want to sit down and ask the architect who designed that hey how did you like create that detail you know and a lot of times they're like oh, i don't want to hold it close to the chest and say i don't want to you know give you that um that information because you know that's that's like a staple of design you know, it's just like well, how like everybody wants design to get better everybody wants like the 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 tectonics of things to get better, the performance and all this other stuff. We want to build lasting buildings. We don't want them to be these, you know, how long is your uh, warranty? 30 years? Well, that's all you have to worry about this building being around for. You mm -hmm. know, we want to actually, I mean, the buildings that surround this particular uh, project are, you know, well over 100 plus years old. And we want to attain the legacy. We want to make sure that the buildings that we're putting around it are going to last as long as it. And you know, the only way to do that is to kind of like share our knowledge, you know. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, hmm. that's why I go to my nerd fests. <laughs> cool, man. I, I appreciate you sharing all that because I think, uh, like I would I would ask the question up front and, and not really expect a, an in-depth answer. Like, why would you go to something like that? Uh, and obviously there's people who have been to these and they understand the value in those kinds of things, but then there's a lot of people yeah. who haven't gone to these. And we've talked about the value of the AIA conference right. as an example, which is very different from the workshop that you went to. Right. But there are elements of it right, right. that, that are like the thing that you went to. And it is a reason why a lot of people go to the national conference to get their CEs and things like that as well. But it is worth sharing why these kinds of pieces of the profession, the continuing education parts of it are important and the kinds of experiences that yeah. you can have at those learning or otherwise, you know, if you're, if you're absorbing, if you're giving back to the crowd Dude, at large yeah. and, and helping them progress as architects too, I think these are all valid reasons for going in. So it, it was cool to hear right. your experience with that. And you just wanted to pick on me and call me a nerd. Mission accomplished accomplished and appreciated all right are we done for the for this one yeah cool i believe we are